Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, and we're going to continue our NFL coverage today with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you're expecting Shane Caldwell today, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. Instead, we have a legend from the 80s. It's Uncle Rico. Hey, I'm out here in uh, in my field uh, with my van, man. I got an awesome van out here, and I'm going to do some practice throws today. I'm getting ready to get back to football. Uh, so just, you know, I can throw a ball. Back in the 1982, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. And uh, how much you want to bet I can throw, throw a football over those mountains right there? Uh, you know, and I tell you what, in high school, if a coach would have put me in in the fourth quarter, we would have won the state championship. Things would have been a lot different for me. But, you know, when I watch football today, I think about what what could have been, and I know I was a superstar. That's all, and I had the best swagger and the best style out there, and I like to still watch my old VHS tapes uh, in my van here <laughs> so I can reminisce on the good memories we had. Uh, and when I when I eventually uh, watch the, you know, the current-day football, this guy Gardner Minshew, I like his style. I like the mustache. I like the short shorts. He reminds me of myself back in the day so I take it upon myself to mentor him and make sure he develops as a young quarterback because he reminds me of how good I used to be so Uncle Rico is going to help Gardner Minshew out this year and uh, it's Minshew mania you know so (laughs) that's good stuff yeah the only thing I'm surprised about is that you didn't let the mustache grow out a little bit more for today's episode (laughs) yeah I got the I got the Gardner Minshew uh, starter pack uh, you know, mustache going, and I got the uh, the Jaguars teal going here. So, uh, so at least I got the Jaguars starter pack here. <laughs> I don't yeah. have my old, uh, you know, back in the '90s, I had one of those starter. Remember those awesome starter uh, jackets? You know, when you live in the cold weather, you had you had to have a sweet starter jacket. And I got the Jacksonville Jaguars one when they were a franchise team because the colors were really cool. You know, so you were really cool if you had a brand new starter jacket. You know, back in elementary school. You had the had the teal and the gold colors. That was pretty cool in the '90s there. So that's what that's what that reminds me of. It's the old starter jackets, <laughs> yeah. old school uh, Jacksonville Jaguars there. So good stuff. Well, it feels like we're having a lot more fun than the Jaguars players and fans. You know, especially heading into this season, it's one that's full of question marks. The questions are: Are they trying to win? Are they trying to tank? Or does it even matter? Yeah, it, this is a, you study this roster and this team and you look at the moves by the GM and you're trying to figure out, like, what is this team doing? Like, are they trying to win? Are they trying to, you know, the old tank for Trevor thing? Uh, are they just going to trade away all their best players? I mean, last year they got rid of Jalen Ramsey, one of the best co- corners in the game. Then they traded away A.J. Bouye. They got rid of Marcel Darius. They traded away Calais Campbell, who was a dominant defensive end, D-tackle. It's like, what are they doing? And then the Nick Foles experiment failed. So I think they're literally still trying to recover from that. I was checking out their salary cap hits, and guess who their number one highest paid player is for 2020, and at least turn into the cap hit. (laughs) I bet you can guess it. (laughs) Yeah, St. Nick. So his cap hit in 2020, because the signing bonus pretty much rolled over, was 18750000 So they're true. They have a lot of dead, dead kept money. Uh, they're trying to rebuild on the fly. And I'm not really convinced that they're going to be any better, if, if not worse, this year. Uh, they do have a lot of young talent we'll talk about. Uh, it's just disappointing that I really was high on Leonard Fournette. We'll talk about him. And then all of a sudden now it's kind of like, okay, he's going his final year. Is he going to be traded? Does he really want to play for these guys and be there? Are they just going to run him into the ground? I don't know. It's not a great offensive line. Uh, and then, I mean, their star uh, defensive end uh, in Guanque, uh, he also wants to be traded. You know, they're paying him quite a bit on the franchise tag, and he's still not happy. I mean, it, it's, I think they were paying him at least, what is it, 12 or 15 million, something pretty high number. And he's just like, I don't want to play here. So it's just kind of troubling when you hear those type of things um, with, from their star players, you know. And then you have Gardner Minshew, which we'll talk about, who – we don't know if he's going to take a step in the second in the second uh, year here. So obviously, as you can see, a lot of question marks that we're going to dive into. We're going to see how does this, how are all these changes and all these things going on going to impact the daily fantasy world in terms of trying to find a couple of hidden gems with this with this roster, which is tough to do. But there could be a couple of hidden gems here. So we're gonna we're gonna break it down today. Exactly. That, that's our mission here as we continue our 32-day virtual tour 
of the NFL on DFS Coach Talk as we break down every team one day at a time from a DFS perspective. And if you want to learn more about our crew, check out our website, dfscoachtalk.com. We cover the NBA, MLB, and NBA. Uh, did I say NFL? The, the major three sports. We also uh, cover KBO, and we provide free lineup advice to our members. We have uh, weekly, monthly, and annual memberships. And uh, those are frozen until we get a pro sport back up and running here in the U.S. So uh, feel free to take a look there. And uh, yesterday we had a three wide set. Uh, Shane and Leighton and I broke down the Super Bowl winning Chiefs. And so our reward uh, or maybe it's punishment for getting that uh, opportunity is to cover the Jaguars today as we start our coverage of the AFC South. So without further ado, let's let's jump into it. Now, in terms of the coaching staff, Shane, we've got Doug Marone back again, despite his uh, win-loss record of 37 and 45. And he has brought in Jay Gruden, who, believe it or not, had a win-loss record in Washington of 35, 49 and 1. So basically, he's surrounding himself with a similarly uh, unproductive head coach. But uh, Jay Gruden did have a little bit more success as an offensive coordinator and he's coming in to replace John DeFilippo. Uh, he didn't get it done last year in his one year uh, in Jacksonville. The team only scored 300 points, which was 26th. They were average across the board, 16th in passing yards, 17th in rushing yards. But how about this? This is the stat that really jumped out at me. They only had three rushing touchdowns all season. Just abysmal. So what do you think, uh, first and foremost, about Jay Gruden coming to town? Yeah, this team was really horrible in the red zone, as you just alluded to there. Uh, Gardner Minshew was bad in the red zone. The rushing game was bad. That really hurt Leonard Fournette. Obviously, Minshew didn't get it done either. either. Uh, I think Jay Gruden should be able to slightly improve this offense. Um, you know, they do have some weapons. I think if the offensive line can get a little bit better with these younger guys developing, because they were pretty bad last year. Um, but I think he can get back to focusing on being an offensive coordinator instead of a head coach, which suits him better, and be able to implement this West Coast system, which should uh, choose uh, strengths pretty well, and hopefully be able to use Leonard Fournette for the talented running back he is and be able to, uh, you know, run the ball more and catch balls out of the backfield uh, and, and be more productive in the red zone with better creative play calling and that type of thing. Because it didn't seem like it was very creative uh, and it wasn't executed at a high level last year with that offensive coordinator. So I think Jay Gruden can improve them and he should be able to help develop Gardner Minshew. Um, and, and that's the idea. Uh, that first to second year jump there. And you do have some talented players like DJ Shark uh, as well. And I'm, I really like Leonard Fournette. I just don't know what the outlook is for sure this season. I'm still fairly high on him, but there's just a lot of question marks here. So it's one of those teams we'll have to watch closely as they get into training camp. But yeah, overall, I think Jade Gruden should be a slight upgrade for the team, but I'm still a little nervous about him. Yeah, I agree. I, I share your optimism there with Gruden. When he finished in Cincinnati, he spent three years as the offensive coordinator there. And his final year there, 2013, they were 10th in yards and 6th in points scored. So uh, Jay Gruden certainly hoping for a return to that sort of form. Over on the defensive side, Todd Wash returns as the defensive coordinator. He's been in that position for four years. And last year was a real dip. Uh, in Wash's first three years in Jacksonville, the team was sixth, second, and fifth in yards allowed. Uh, they've been well above average in passing yards. In fact, top five, three years in a row. They've been about average in rushing yards. But then last year, the passing yardage defense was middle of the road, and their rushing defense was horrible. They were 28th in yards allowed. They gave up 5.1 yards per carry, and they allowed 23 rushing touchdowns, which was 31st in the league. So they scored three on the ground. They gave up 23 on the ground. And that's just one of those formulas, Shane, that just doesn't quite add up when you, 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 do the, you take an inventory in the locker room after the game and you say, well, yeah, we didn't score on the ground again, and the other team scored one or maybe two. And that's what it was every single week. So yeah. uh, the defense you know, really took a dip last year. 
you, you talked about some of the star players who have departed. Uh, any reason to believe that you know any of the moves they've made or the draft picks they've picked up uh, can get this defense turned back around? Uh, so there's a couple moves that may help them uh, against stopping the run, which we'll talk about here. Um, but they just lost way too much. You can't just keep get ri- getting rid of, you know, Pro Bowl caliber veteran def- defensive players and expect that you're just going to replace them with, uh, you know, a mid-price free agent or a young rookie guy that's kind of raw talent that's not developed and not ready for the NFL. So they have some talent. It's ex- some exciting athletic players, but that's not going to be enough to stand up against these defenses. They did try to get a little more stout against the run with some bigger guys. Uh, and they did a little bit in the draft for that, and they signed a linebacker we'll talk about. But overall, yeah, you're still going to be – this is a defense you can attack in the rush game. I think the rush defense will be slightly better. Um, I'll talk about a couple of the players that will improve that. But the pass defense, I think, is going to take a little bit of a step back. They were ranked 16th. I would expect them to be, you know, a little bit lower than that uh, because you lost A.J. Bouye. So now you don't have Ramsey. You don't have Bouye. Uh, and they got a, a promising rookie in uh, C.J. Uh, Henderson that I like at corner, but he's still going to be a rookie. He didn't have a great season at Florida last year, and now he's coming into the NFL against these top-level uh, talent receivers and uh, with a shortened offseason. That's not a good recipe, and we'll talk about some of the other corners they have later as well. So overall, I would expect this defense to take a step back, and uh, they're a defense you want to attack in the DFS game. Uh, hopefully that makes it better for Gardner Minshew and, you know, Leonard Fournette and DJ Shark, these stars we're going to talk about in terms of them being able to get a lot of passing volume, you know, a garbage time, similar to like Tampa Bay was last year, you know, that you get a lot of garbage time passing at the end. Uh, they're constantly coming from behind that type of thing. So uh, they did do well in sacks. They had seventh tied for seventh in the league with 47 sacks. So that is a good sign uh, with them having uh uh, Josh Allen, who is a uh, you know superstar in the making in terms of uh, a pass rusher, if they can keep Ngonkwe for the entire season and then also mix him in with the rookie Caleb Von Chason, who's a very you know explosive pass rusher as well, uh, they do good job. Uh, that helps the secondary a little bit. But overall, if you're going against a good offensive line that that can stop that pass rush, they're not going to be able to hold up in the secondary with the coverage with the corners they have in this in the safeties. So uh, I think that you can attack them there. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, t- I'm looking at a slight step back in the passing, slight uh, uh, increase with the production against the run, but you're still going to be able to attack them in both categories. So that's kind of where we're up, where we're at with their defense. Yeah. So basically a p- potential repeat of last year. You know, we talked yesterday about Mahomes in that opening day where they just blitzed the Jaguars through the air. And I, I agree. I think we can expect a lot more of that here early in the season. So we'll be targeting offensive players against Jacksonville early and often. Now let's transition to Jacksonville's offense. And let's start with Uncle Rico uh, and Gardner Minshew here. And Minshew ended up starting 12 games last year and threw for 3,200 yards. And he also took care of the ball. 21 touchdown passes, only six interceptions. So uh, talk to me about the outlook in 2020 for Mr. Minshew. I mean, I think the issue was, he, like I had mentioned earlier, he couldn't finish in the red zone. Uh, he wasn't really completing at a really high percentage, about 60%. And, and with that being, you know, 60% completion percentage, which isn't great, he also wasn't really throwing the ball deep that much. You know, he took a few shots here and there. Um, he was ranked pretty low for, you know, air yards and yards per attempt. Uh, so when you combine those two things, it's a little concerning about his accuracy and his ability to find open uh, re- receivers there. You know, he is a smart quarterback, so maybe uh, if he can de- develop in the Jay Gruden system, maybe he can improve a little bit. But I don't really see much of an increase here. I think defenses are going to know his strengths and weaknesses now better, so they're going to be able to attack him now that they have more film on him. I think he caught a couple people by surprise last year. Um, it is nice that he adds a little bit in the rushing in the running game so he can he can get those off script plays and run around a little bit. So that helps. But he still didn't have any rushing touchdowns. Uh, yeah. So this is a guy that, yeah, I would expect is probably if he plays a full season, maybe 24 you know, touchdowns and 10 interceptions or something like that, you know, uh, kind of limited. You know, he might get, you know, 400 rushing yards, something like that running around. But 
I don't see that the overall offense is that much better, which means less red zones and opportunities. I don't see that where the red, they're going to be that much better in the red zone. Uh, he did have a couple games where he flashed with uh, DraftKings scoring 27 points, you know, around 25, 25, 21. So he had a couple decent fantasy games, but overall he's really hard to count on in terms of a daily fantasy play. And, you know, you can try to stack them with, you know, DJ Shark or, you know, those type of things, or maybe Chris Conley if you're going for a GPP dart throw. But uh, it's not a guy that I trust, and it's going to be a wait-and-see approach, but it's not someone that I'm targeting. Yeah, for me, um, I'm not really targeting him in tournaments. Uh, His profile does match up pretty well as a cash game investment just because of his price. Last year, he really averaged kind of around low 5K, and he, his fantasy points on DraftKings, he averaged 17.73. Um, so pretty consistent. He had seven games with at least two touchdown passes or more. And the the only problem was that ceiling. He only had two games of over 300 yards. And as you mentioned, those four games with low 20s fantasy points. So uh, for now, a potential cash game option for me. Not going to look at him uh, in GPPs. We'll touch on the backups here very briefly. Last week, they signed Mike Glennon, a six-year veteran, to a one-year deal. Uh, He's 6-16 as a starter, um, 36 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, 178 yards per game. So he's never really been a high-volume fantasy target. And then they drafted Jake Luton in the sixth round, who is 6'6", 224, and I saw a comparison where the the <laughs> the comp for Jake Luton was Mike Glennon, the guy that he's <laughs> going to be standing next to. Uh, they're going to be measuring themselves against each other. Mike Glennon listed at six seven, Luton at six six. Um, but Luton was uh, terrific last year at Oregon State in terms of getting the ball in the end zone and taking care of the ball. Yeah, I mean he had. Uh... I have his stats here. It was yeah, it was pretty pretty good production. It was really his only year that he started the uh, the entire year uh, for Oregon State. But he had 28 touchdowns and three interceptions, a little over 2,700 yards. So pretty good production there. Uh, this is the type of guy who's he's got a little bit of athleticism. He's obviously got really good uh, you know height. It's, so he's kind of the complete opposite profile. <laughs> of Gardner Minshew, who's maybe six foot, you know, they list him at six one, but <laughs> so uh, he is a developmental kind of raw uh, quarterback that you could, you could develop in probably a guy you stash on the practice squad and see, see what he can do. Uh, he wasn't very good at uh, reading defenses and going through his progressions. He kind of would just kind of zero in on his one target that he liked and kind of, you know, uh, you know, kind of that type of target passer, as opposed to, you know, having good timing and going through progression. So that's where he needs to develop there. Uh, but he does have some talent to work with. So that's why he's kind of a developmental player there. Um, so I would think that Mike Glennon will be the backup quarterback. And uh, I don't really like Mike Glennon as much. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, he has a little athleticism, but he's not really that mobile in this offensive line's not great. I mean, that's one thing that was kind of nice about Gardner Menchie is he could move around a little bit being that this offensive line gave up a lot of pressures and those tackles aren't very solid uh, against the pass rush. So Gardner Minshew at least can move around, you know, uh, similar to like a, a really poor man's Russell Wilson. You know, as you think about that in terms of being able to uh, create a little bit more space and, you know, rush the ball and create more time to pass. Uh, so I don't think Mike Glennon really is like a pocket passer that doesn't work very good because there's not often a clean pocket with this offensive line unless something changes. So, so yeah, if, uh, if, Gardner Minshew gets hurt and Mike Glennon's in there. Uh, I'm ready to fire up whatever defense is going against him, probably. <laughs> you know, let's see, because you're talking turnovers and sacks right there. Yeah, I am too. And same thing if it ever is Luton, whether it's this year or next, uh, the knock on him is his inability to make good decisions when he was pressured in the pocket. The one real strength for him was his arm strength and downfield passing in passes with at least 20 yards down the field. He had 13 touchdowns last year and zero interceptions. So um, there's a real bright spot. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's the part of the profile that prompted the Jags to select him. But uh, let's let's transition to the running game. We've talked about Fournette a little bit. Um, this is his uh, fourth year. It's his contract year. And 
Last year, he played 15 games and got you over 1,100 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. And the number that jumped out at me was 76 receptions uh, for 522 yards, just a terrific amount of volume through the air. And the Jags went ahead and signed Chris Thompson last week to a one-year contract. So talk to me about this backfield with Fournette and Chris Thompson. Yeah, I, I, I was really high on Fournette going into last year, and really he put up the production I was expecting. Uh, he just didn't get enough touchdowns just because overall, again, kind of reoccurring theme here, but the, they were really bad in the red zone, and the offensive line was pretty bad too. So he didn't have a lot of space to operate. But in terms of the player himself, Leonard Fournette uh, at, uh, last year before the offseason had uh, improved his, his character off the field. He had to cut out some different people that were causing some issues with him, you know, getting into trouble kind of off the field. Uh, so he, he really did that, and he kind of isolated himself and trained with the, just a trainer by himself, you know, uh, kind of removed himself from all the bad uh, examples that he had, right, and the bad influences. So that improved it. His conditioning was a lot better. He was a player that was known for coming in, not that great condition. So, you know, he's got a great athletic profile. So great conditioning. They used him. I knew they were going to use him more in the passing game, which they did. Uh, you just want to see a few more touchdowns there and a little bit more, uh, you know, red zone production, which I think he's due for positive regression there, really. Uh, the offensive line can get slightly better and with a little more creativity with Jay, Jay Gruden. So I'm really high on him. Uh, I'm not high on Chris Thompson. I know that's kind of Jay Gruden's, uh, you know, long lost son. He kind of likes him. They've had some good years together, but I find it hard to believe with all the injuries Chris Thompson's had over the years that he is going to get better this year. You know what I mean? I think he's kind of past his prime and uh, he's a guy that, yeah, he'll catch like four or five balls, but it'll be for like 35 yards. You know what I mean? It's just like a bunch of little short passes. They're still going to use Leonard Fournette a lot in the passing game because he's a much more explosive athlete and a lot bigger guy and uh, stronger. So they really, they, they can use Ray, uh, Raquel Armstrong, who we'll talk about as a change of pace kind of guy to give him a breather and then occasionally throw in Chris Thompson in the hurry up offense. But other than that, I think Leonard Fournette's still a workhorse. So with if he gets good volume, if they do a slight improvement here and he gets some more touchdowns, and especially in PPR formats, he's a target. Um, you got last year, he he popped off even in this bad offense. 30, yeah, he had a big game, 30, about 37 drafting points. And then he had a 29, 26, 20, and a 19. Um, so, you know, he had a couple disappointing weeks where it just really, it was a bad game script. And again, bad matchup because it's not a good, not a good offense. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think I'm, I'm still high on Leonard Fournette, just like I was, uh, going into 2019. Uh, so going into 2020, I'm still high on this guy. What, what okay. about you? Yeah, I'm not quite as high on him as you are. It sounds like, um, you know, he is a real workhorse. He was on the field for 83% of the snaps last year. He only ended up with 300-yard games. And the receptions, that's what really allowed him to approach value because it was just so consistent. He had 11 games with at least four receptions, and he had four games with at least seven. So very attractive on DraftKings. But the problem, as you mentioned, is he wasn't getting in the end zone. He caught 76 passes, and not one of them went for a touchdown. And as we mentioned, he only had three on the ground. So uh, that that made it really tough for him. If we get that positive touchdown regression like you were talking about, okay, I'm going to be more interested in him. But again, my concern is Chris Thompson. I, I do think, you know, he has all that trust and experience built up with Jay Gruden. And I, I think they're going to use him. And I do think that could cut into Fournette's receptions. And so then we're putting more and more pressure on needing Fournette to get into the end zone if we want him to pay off. So... Uh, I'm going to probably steer away from this backfield early uh, and see how the targets shake out between Fournette and Thompson. You mentioned Reichwell Armstead. There's a guy that I have some I have some faith in, I'm optimistic about him if he'll ever get a chance. I mean, he was only on the field for 14% of the snaps last year because Fournette is, is such a workhorse. And... Um, you know, he, he didn't do that much when he was on the field in terms of his numbers because he only averaged 3.1 per carry. Uh, but he does have 4.45 4, speed. Um, and the one time he got to start in the finale, 
five catches for 52 yards and a touchdown. He wasn't as good on the ground, 10 carries for 33, but 19.5 fantasy points at a very low price. So uh, certainly if Fournette ever goes down and, and Armstead gets a spot start, I'll, I'll invest in him at a, at a cheap price. Yeah, it's a guy you definitely have to keep an eye on because not only does Fournette have an injury uh, history, he also could be traded really any time throughout the season. As soon as they find someone, I mean, there's probably going to be a contender that gets a bad injury at running back, right, and that wants to be able to make a run. So they'll be like, okay, I'll give you, you know, whatever third, fourth round pick for Leonard Fournette. And, you know, and the Jaguars are like, whatever, we're tank. You know, I, th- I still feel like they're going to tank for tank for Trevor Lawrence type thing. So, yeah, I could see Fournette not even – finishing the season on the Jaguars potentially. Uh, so that's where you really have to watch Re- uh, Rockwell Armstead. How does he do in preseason? How does he look in, with Jay Gruden? Does Jay Gruden like him in terms of trusting him more? Um, you know, I know that uh, the head coach likes him. The GM seems to like him. So he's a guy that you have to really keep a close eye on. And is he going to get pass work? Uh, and is he going to improve his yards per per uh, carry as well, because that was pretty bad at 3.1. So, yeah, it is a guy that you have to keep on your radar for sure. All right. Well, let's transition to the wide receiver group. Uh, pretty balanced trio here of Chark, Westbrook, and Conley last year. Let's start with DJ Chark, who really busted out in his second year. Yeah, DJ Chark had, had a, a great career at uh, – LSU, uh, really good, really good guy. He's speed and size, physicality, great ball skills, and he just kind of flew under the radar. You know, he he dropped a little bit in the in the real draft, and then, uh, you know, he wasn't on anyone's radar in the last year in the preseason. You know, going into the season there, um, and uh, I was kind of taking a look at him as you know like a GPP type flyer guy, but yeah, he he really showed something in terms of be able to beat one-on-one coverage and be able to high point the ball and, and big play ability with his strength and size. Uh, he had, fa- uh, you know, over a thousand yards, 73 catches, 13.8 yards per reception and eight touchdowns, uh, which was great in 15 games that he played. Um, and again, that's with, uh, you know, Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew throwing him the ball, mostly Minshew, which is not a great deep ball passer, but he's okay. But yeah, he had fantasy DraftKings points, 39, 33, 27, 20, and 16. So if you were got on him early in the year, his price was cheap. Obviously, huge advantage there, a guy that came out of nowhere. Um, and then, you know, he, people kind of knew about him after a while. But yeah, he was he was a great play last year. Yeah, and the ceiling is what I think is most important. You mentioned those 39 and 33 games, and he showed that chemistry with Minshew, that ability to have a huge day. That's obviously what we need for GPP. So um, I'm going to keep an eye on his price tag. He's probably the guy I'll be most interested in for GPPs on this squad. Um, and you got you got to figure he's going to have high confidence after that 1,000-yard season um, and, you know, year two with Minshew. So uh, I'm optimistic about Chark. Now next, let's talk about Dede Westbrook. Um, there's a guy who was on everybody's radar from a fantasy perspective and turned out to just sort of be a solid producer, but not much of a ceiling. Yeah, I mean, he was more of a target. You kind of knew this going the year, more of a PPR type guy, uh, you know, more of a, a slot wide receiver, you know, good across the middle, quick passes. You know, he has a little bit of burst to quickness. Um, so, yeah, you know, getting over 100 targets. Uh, again, the theme with this offense is they didn't really produce that much with their targets uh, in terms of catching. I mean, they, they, you know, it's still decent. He caught 66 balls, which is good for PPR. I mean, he's fairly cheap. 660 yards, 10 yards per catch. Again, a little bit uh, more under the underneath receiver and three touchdowns. We so didn't get a lot of touchdowns there. Um, not really a red zone threat where DJ Shark Shark was obviously the red zone threat. But yeah, I do like this guy in PPR. Like you said, uh, DJ Shark is probably good enough to be a cash, and spe- especially with the ceiling a GPP type guy. I think he's consistent. I think he's he's their star receiver. Where Westbrook is more exercise caution, probably PPR cash game type guy. If you can get him with at four thousand dollars or forty five hundred, if his price goes down and, D- and DK, then yeah, he's a good guy that you got to look at. Uh, especially if they're going to be coming from behind. Uh, I do, I do like him, you know, and I think Gardner Minshew trusts him. So. Yeah, and his, his lowest price on DraftKings was 4,500 last year, and that was the problem. He was just a little bit too expensive, 
even for that cash game for me, because uh, he had seven games under 10, so he just didn't quite have that floor that you want out of a, a slot guy, and he didn't have enough games where he had you know nine or 10 catches. So uh, yeah, just a pretty, little bit pretty sh- hard. To, it was pretty hard to predict to your point because of, you know you have like you know four or five wide receivers that are rotating in and out of there, so it's a little bit hard to predict which guy was going to do good. So next we've got Chris Conley, who came over after four years in Kansas City and ended up playing 16 games, only had 47 catches, but he got in the end zone five times and he finished the season strong with a few touchdowns down the stretch. Yeah, again, 91 targets for this guy. So you probably figured, okay, 91, even if he had a bad year, he probably would catch like, you know, like 60, you know, 65, 70, right? He can only caught 47 of those balls. So, I mean, but to his credit, they did take some deep shots. So this was a guy that they would actually take deep shots with, and he was by far the best for yards per reception at 16.5. That was among NFL leaders there and five touchdowns. So this is the this is their boomer bust, you know, big play guy. This is the guy that you can fire up on uh, FanDuel, and he's he was the he was the big play guy that would uh, the ultimate dart throw because you didn't know when he was going to go off. But if you hit him on the right week, yeah, he was super cheap, and uh, he had uh, some big. Uh, he had three weeks basically above 20 points. Those are the big games that were pretty good, being that he was pretty much a minimal price, round a minimal price guy. Uh, you, uh, see if you if maybe you have his uh, price on DraftKings. I don't have it yeah. in front of me, but I'm pretty yeah. sure he was pretty low on FanDuel too. He was. His max price was 4.5K. He was between 3.3 to 4.5. And by my numbers, he ended up hitting value, you know, 3X or better, five out of the 16 games. So, um, you know, not bad for a low-priced receiver. Yeah, and I think the theme is is when you look at these receivers, again – the number that just keeps standing out to me is the, the amount of targets they got, which was good. Um, but the fact that they didn't catch that many of those balls. And again, it goes back to Garner Minshew. You know, he's not even throwing that deep and he's only 60 percent completion percentage. So, again, though, if Jay Gruden can work with Gardner Minshew in the second year and improve that completion percentage and have better creative play calling and that type of thing, uh, that that can increase the production for these wide receivers where you can trust them a little more being that they do have some talent. Um, so that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Now, speaking of talent, uh, the Jaguars spent a second round draft pick on a wide receiver out of Colorado, LaVisca Chenault, 6'1", 227. You expect he'll make an impact for the Jags this year. So uh, I'm a little concerned about his transition to the NFL as a receiver. I think he is a guy that they can develop as like a, a really strong slot receiver. Uh, in the future, but it might take him a couple years here. Uh, the guy's, uh, you know, got great size. What is he, about 6'2", 220, right around there? And, uh, you know, good speed, and he's just his, uh, incredible lower body strength, so he can really break tackles and good, good agility and quickness, uh, you know, so the guy's really tough in that matter. The problem is he's not really developed as a route runner. You know, he's got, uh, you know, at decent hands, but he really didn't show that much as a route runner in terms of his route tree, his, his ability to get open, uh, you know, he was going against, uh, you know, teams in the uh, was it the Pac-12 conference that, you know, some of the defenses are kind of questionable. Uh, he didn't really produce that much in the receiving game, but he is a weapon. You know, this is one of those guys that can do everything. I can see them giving him get helping with the run game when, you know, Leonard Fournette's getting stymied at the line, which sometimes happens with the Jaguars. Then you can run these misdirection, these jet sweeps and end arounds. You can throw him bubble screens and get get this guy the ball in space because he's he's fast and, and he's physical. He's strong as well. So it's kind of a gadget player. So it's a it's a hard guy to predict for for DFS uh, to be able to play. He would be quite the dart throw, um, but he does have big playability. So it's a guy you have to keep an eye on. But I don't think he has elite top level speed. He's fast, but. You know, he ran a four or five, eight. So it's not a guy I'm looking to target uh, unless we see otherwise. Um, but he is a guy that if he can develop as a wide receiver, that that, that could uh, be a really good talent. I, I like him as like a big uh, physical slot receiver, like a mismatch, but not yet. I don't think he's ready. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I agree. I think he's the kind of guy where we just need to try to monitor the situation and see if we can, uh, you know, hear anything or predict anything about, you know, maybe a special package, a few plays for him here and there. I saw one highlight where he took a snap out of the Wildcat and 
made a nice cut and took it to the house. So he's he is that type of gadget player who can break tackles. He led the receiving group in this class with 44 broken tackles over the last two years. And then in terms of his production, I think one thing that hurt him is two years ago, he played uh, a lot more in the slot and he had 87 catches for over a thousand yards. And then last year he was mostly split out wide. He only had 56 catches for 764. So I agree. I think he profiles more as a potential slot receiver, uh, you know, gadget player, guy that can, um, you know, get the get the ball in his hands uh, more like a running back, and he could make yeah. an impact there. Yeah, he's kind so, of a D.D. Uh, D.D. Westbrook. We can talk about some of these other guys for the Jaguars, but uh, probably not going to be very relevant unless somebody else gets hurt. So let's transition to the tight ends, and it's got to start with Tyler Eifert. His seven-year experiment in Cincinnati has come to a close, marred by injuries. And uh, it was just uh, in March that the Jags signed Eifert to a one-year deal, one-year deal for four million. So in year eight, what should we expect from Eifert? I mean, the Jaguars last year did not produce at all from the tight end position, um, but Jay Gruden offenses traditionally get the tight end involved. You know, if you think about uh, was it Jordan Reed, the guy that was always injured too, another guy that was really good athlete, he had some great seasons. Uh, and uh, fantasy football, uh, great production at the wide receiver position. So Tyler Eifert could be able to produce some of that uh, production there uh, in this Jay Gruden offense. Um, the, of course, the question always is, is Tyler Eifert, does he still have any speed and burst? Um, and uh, can he stay healthy? So this is another one of those guys, probably target him uh, in the early, uh, at the beginning of the season, because he is a savvy veteran. And he's a red zone threat. He's a big target. So he's the type of guy that could maybe get in the early season before he, you know, his, he starts deteriorating, basically starts getting injured. He might be able to have a game where he gets two touchdowns and 50 or 60 yards. You know, he's kind of like, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham was last year. It's like Jimmy Graham used to be great, but he's kind of over the hill now. So you could play Jimmy Graham while he's healthy, maybe early in the year. But being that he's older, he kind of fades towards the, towards the end, of, end of the year now. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, exercise caution with Tyler Eifert. But you get him at, uh, again, super cheap price. He's the type of guy that can get the – he's got really – he's pretty touchdown dependent. Um, but he can get uh, one to two touchdowns easily. Uh, he's going to be a big red zone threat because besides, uh, you know, uh, DJ Sharp, they don't really have a red zone target that they would throw to. Yeah, and for me, one, one thing I like to do in NFL DFS is sometimes I like to play two tight ends together. Uh, it's a way to get a little bit different from the crowd. And some of these guys, like Eifert, are priced so cheap, it allows you to pay up at other positions. Last year, his highest price tag on DraftKings was only 3.5K. And his he had a ceiling game of 17.7. So like you said, if he can catch five or six balls, get in the end zone once or twice, he can smash value. Um and, you know, he's just got to recreate that uh, production from earlier in his career when he stayed healthy. Back in 2015, he had over 50 catches, over 600 yards, and he had 13 touchdowns. So he knows how to get in the end zone. He has chemistry with Gruden. They were together in 2013 in Cincinnati. Uh, last year, he was somewhat healthy. He, he actually played in 16 games, but, you know, he wasn't that productive Cincinnati was a mess only only 43 catches and three touchdowns but uh he's certainly a potential early uh sleeper for me here to start the season now the rest of the group for tight ends uh, a little bit shaky we've got James O'Shaughnessy a five-year veteran who also started his career in Kansas City so that's one thing we've learned here is that the Jags when they scout out potential pass catchers they look at Kansas City with Conley and O'Shaughnessy. And then I realized that for quarterbacks, all they really care about is people from the Pacific Northwest, Minshew from Washington State and Luton from Oregon State. So hmm. we've got the inside scoop on the Jags. We don't need to hack yeah. into their Zoom meetings at, at the draft. But um, Shaughnessy was injured last year. He only played five games, caught 14 balls, two touchdowns. Um, and the year before, when he was healthy, he was a little bit more productive, 24 catches, but he didn't get in the end zone. Um, so he, you know, five years in, he hasn't really shown uh, 
that he can, you know, maneuver his way into the end zone with with any sort of regularity. Um, but he's there if Eifert goes down. And then they picked up Tyler Davis in the draft. Um, he split time in college between UConn and Georgia Tech. Uh, what, what do you think about Davis? Is he a developmental guy that is just going to bide his time and, uh, you know, wait for an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that can learn from veterans like Tyler Eifert and uh, become, a, uh, you know, develop as a pass receiving tight end, um, kind of that big slot role. He did show some flashes when he was at UConn of some receiving upside uh, a little bit and limited production there, but he really didn't do much at Georgia Tech. So he, I think they saw something that they liked in this guy in terms of his, uh, whether it's route running ability or his hands. Uh, they, they like, you know, decent size and decent, decent speed. Uh, so I think they just took him as a developmental tight end. But other than that, I'm not looking for him to do anything this year. Uh, I would say probably a practice uh, squad candidate is what I'm, what I'm thinking. Um, but they did, I think they did lose uh, Nick O'Leary, I believe. I don't think he's on the roster anymore. Um, so let me just take a look at the uh, tight end here. Yeah, they did lose Nick O'Leary. So there's a, there's, so he's going to compete in that, you know, third or fourth tight end position. And if he can contribute on special teams, he might be able to make the team is my opinion. But I look at him as a guy that'd be practice squad eligible that you can stash and develop. Excellent. Well, before we get into the draft here with any final thoughts, Shane, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at DET Sports Shane. So DET Sports Shane on Twitter. Excellent. And you can find me at Language Olympic. Uh, we do thank you for tuning in. If you don't, if you get a minute, give us a thumbs up or a like wherever you're listening. And if you're not watching yet, we, we are providing these daily podcasts on YouTube. So go check those out. Uh, Shane, we've talked a little bit about the draft, but let's go through it again and uh, clean up some of the uh, some of the highlights that we haven't mentioned yet. OK, so with the first pick, uh, pick number nine, they took C.J. Henderson. Uh, the cornerback out of Florida. And I actually, you know, I studied this guy prior to the draft and I really liked CJ Henderson. And I actually liked him over Jeff Okuda, even though, you know, I'm a Detroit Lions guy. So Detroit Lions took him at three. Okuda was obviously the more polished kind of solid guy, you know, played against good competition and produced, but I like CJ Henderson. Uh, I like his coverage skills and his ball skills better. Uh, in his overall uh, profile, uh, the knock on him was he wasn't as good a tackler, wasn't quite as physical, which I'm not too worried about that with the with the corner. So I don't think he maybe fit the Lions scheme as much. But C.J. Henderson reminds me actually of Darius Slay. So that's another Lions comp there. When I was watching his film, I was like, who does this guy remind me of? He has a very similar athletic profile and size to Darius Slay. So I think he, it, when he comes in the league, it's, it's going to take him a few years, but he can develop into a shutdown corner. He's going to start right away. A uh, little worried about him starting. He had an off season. He didn't have a great season last year at Florida, kind of battled through some injuries, that type of thing. Uh, but I really like his coverage skills, his ability to get in and out of breaks and, you know, drop his hips, his quickness, his footwork, his speed, uh, decent, decent physicality, uh, just really good ball skills as well. Uh, and he's a playmaker. So I like C.J. Henderson. I like that pick, but it's going to take him a little while to develop in the league. So, But he will probably be a day one starter. Uh, what did you think about uh, C.J. Henderson here? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's important that they went in that direction uh, to fill in for Ramsey and Bouye. I think he'll start day one. And, uh, you know, he looks like it uh, looks like he's got some ball skills, athletic um and, you know, they, they need turnovers. They were 19th – sorry, they forced 19 turnovers, which was 22nd in the league last year. So they need some playmakers. Yeah, and then speaking of playmakers, with the 20th pick in the first round, they took Cade LeVon Chase on, which if you watched LSU last year, you see this guy flash. Uh, he's kind of a raw athletic talent. He's 6'3", 254, and it's a guy that, you know – People weren't quite sure, was he going to play, you know, 3-4 outside linebacker. I think in this case, they run a 4-3. He's going to be a, a rush defensive end, edge type player, probably put his hand in the ground. Um, but he has that, that uh, elite explosion and athleticism. Uh, so he's the type of guy you're looking for. Uh, had a couple, uh, 
you know, big years, especially last year at LSU, uh, 13 and a half tackles for loss. So this guy's playmaker, just explosive, and uh, six and a half sacks last year, 60 tackles uh, from that edge position. Uh, yeah, so his speed off the off the edge is really good, and I feel like he's kind of like the replacement. They can put him in pass rush uh, packages, but he's kind of like the replacement if they lose in Gonque, which they're going to either lose him as a free agent eventually or trade him away because, obviously, they're very public about the, the fact he's not going to stay there. Uh, so – I think Kaysan is a good prospect and it made sense that they, they took him there. Um, and that he's, he's again, a raw athletic talent. So it might take him a little while to develop. Um, but I could see big, big upside for him in terms of, uh, with him and, uh, Josh Allen as an elite talent on the other side, the guy they took last year. So definitely high on him. Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, chase on, or do we want to uh, talk about Chanel a little more? Yeah, we can transition to Chanel. Uh, if there's anything left to say on him. Yeah, we pretty much covered him again a pretty big guy that's probably going to be a big slot. I think that, you know, they're probably not going to pay D.D. Westbrook when his contract's up after this year. So that's a guy that the Chenault can take a year to develop, and they can throw him in in those gadget plays, and he, he can be a, another element to that offense, so they have a threat there. Um, but he'll probably eventually take over for D.D. Westbrook. Uh, and then in the third round, they took defensive tackle out of Ohio State, Davon Hamilton. And I really like this pick in the third round. It was a position of need for them for inside defensive tackle. They rotate those guys in and out in this 4-3 scheme. This guy's 6'4", 320, played at Ohio State. Obviously, it was a great defense last year. And at the defensive position, this is really impressive to have 28 tackles last year, 10 and a half tackles for loss, and six sacks. Because um, a lot of times defensive tackles are just, you know, there's two gapping and they're just taking on blockers, that type of thing. So to put up that type of production – this guy really showed a lot. So he, he I think he's going to help them against the run and also get an interior pass rush with those elite outside pass rushers. So I like that pick a lot in the third round there. Um, and then in the fourth round, they took uh, Ben Barch, uh, offensive tackle. This guy's a left tackle by trade, experienced player, small school guy, St. John's University of Minnesota at Minnesota. This guy was a converted tight end. So uh, remember, he was kind of known. They had that little skit. Uh, he was the smoothie king. And he he gained 75 pounds to become an offensive tackle. And he was known for every day. He had a special smoothie with a bunch of eggs and protein powder and a bunch of stuff in it. And he just he just pounded the smoothie so he could gain that weight. Uh, so he's 6'6 and 309. He needs to develop his strength and uh in just overall physicality for the next level. And the, so the good news is he's got decent height and he maybe can still put on a little bit more weight on that frame, but he's got to really develop his strength. He's good as a left tackle because of his athletic profile. But the problem is it's going to be a big step up in competition for him going from a small school to NFL level pass rushers. So it's going to take him a while to develop there. Um, but they don't really like Cam Robinson that much. He's been kind of up and down. He's their left start, starting left tackle right now. So they want something to kind of someone to kind of push him and potentially be a replacement for him. So Ben Barch, I think, could be a swing tackle or potentially push Cam Robinson out or be a backup for him if he gets injured because Cam Robinson also has a uh, injury history. So that's kind of the deal with their fourth round pick there. Uh, we can also hit on their fourth round pick, Josiah Scott, a guy that I've watched play at Michigan State. He's a cornerback. Um, they do need corners, and I think that they would draft him for a nickel corner. Uh, they don't really have much depth at the nickel corner position. He's a small guy. He's really only about you know 5'9", 5'10". The combine, I think, he was listed at 185 on one side, but then the combine said 171 pounds. So he, I think he lost a little weight to get that 40 speed. So he can, he ran a four, four, right? So, uh, but he's just a small little scrappy guy. He's got good ball skills and great footwork and great quickness. And he, he's a great tough football player. The issue is with that type of size being, let's say around one five, nine, one eighty, is he going to be able to compete at the NFL level? So that's the question mark, but he should be able to uh, develop as a slot corner and nickel corner, which is important position there um so he's a good developmental guy okay and they had 12 pick 12 draft picks so keep in mind that that's why this is taking a while i'm not going to go over all 12 i do want to mention they got in the fifth round colin johnson wide receiver from texas and he's a, a big guy 6'6 222 pounds uh you know so he's a red zone threat uh can catch a lot of touchdowns 
and not a real fast guy, um, but he put up a lot of production there at Texas and uh, could be a potential uh, good outside uh, starting wide receiver in the future there or a guy that they put in the it, for a red zone uh, threat there. And then we talked about Jake uh, Luton, uh, developmental quarterback, probably put him on the practice squad and see if they can develop him for quarterback for the future. Uh, and that was about it for the significant, like I said, they had 12 picks. So it's a lot of stuff going on there. This team is rebuilding, trying to, trying to go through this youth mo- movement. Obviously they've got rid of all their veterans. I'm kind of a believer that they are in the, in the business of tanking for Trevor. Um, but you know, of course, if you ask them, their coach and their GM and a lot of their fans say, no, that's not the case, but you know, why would they say, admit that? Right. No one's going to admit it. Um, so I look for them to trade away, uh, potentially more players this year, if they continue this trend, um, and that's going to open up stuff for this back for the backups too, you know. So there's a lot of interesting things going on with this team, but I don't expect a, a really good outlook for them. Uh, they're kind of re- trying to rebuild here, and they got a lot a lot of stuff going on. So so that's the that's the Jaguars breakdown. Uh, any other thoughts that you have, Andrew? I know that's a lot of information. There. No, that's terrific. That is yeah. terrific uh, breakdown, and with a smile too. Just terrific yeah. analysis. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Impressive performance here talking about the Jags. It's not easy to do. So exactly. uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, like I said, go find out uh, more about our group at DFSCoachTalk.com. Pick up one of our memberships. That'll be frozen until sports resume here in the U.S. Uh, our fearless leader, Joe Sarvati, he's the one who's known as Coach. He likes us to mention his favorite charity, MambaOn3.org. Go take a look at that. And tomorrow we're going to be back with some more AFC South coverage, a slightly more exciting team in the Indianapolis Colts. So be sure to tune in for that. Yeah, the rest of the AFC South is pretty exciting, actually. Uh, so it just gets keep better and better each day. So stay tuned for that, for the AFC South preview here. <laughs> exactly. The, a- the arrow is pointing up here with our AFC South coverage. It's going to get more and more exciting as the week progresses. So on behalf of Uncle Rico, also known as Shane Caldwell, I am Andrew Hansen. Thank you for tuning in and please come back again tomorrow for the next episode of DFS Coach Talk.